This is Digital Story Podcast number 934, February 13th, 2024. Today's theme is The Temptation of Cheap Third-Party Lenses. I'm Derek Story. It's hard to resist the siren call of super affordable Chinese-made optics. For the price of a polarizer, we can fill gaps in our lens library that we might not otherwise be able to afford. But even at a modest price, do these accessories provide the quality we need for our work? The answer is yes and no. Find out why on today's TDS Photography Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. There are lenses that we use all the time. Our 24mm, 40mm, 85mm, and various zooms. And then lenses that we use every now and then. For our everyday work, I recommend sticking with optics that we can depend on, usually manufactured by the camera brand they are mounted on. But what about those lenses that we use some of the time? Should we pay a premium price for those as well? And this is where I come in. <laughs> so I was looking for a super wide for the Nikon ZF. I wanted an optic that could cover more ground than my current widest 24 millimeters. So the first place I stopped was the Nikon Z 20 millimeter S lens. Now S being the designation for their premium lenses. It has a maximum aperture of f1.8 and an overall rating of 4.9. And it costs $1,046. The Nikon Z 20mm S is 4.27 inches long and weighs just over a pound. And to give you some idea of its girth, it uses a 77mm front filter. I've held one and looked through the viewfinder and focused with it and took a few pictures and i have to say it is a heck of a lens it really is here's where i start to wonder what i should do that wondering what i should do hovers around how often do i need that 20 millimeter lens i mean i do have my iphone 15 pro max with a very nice ultra wide on it kind of my main thing has been use my interchangeable lens camera for my main shooting. And then if there was something outside of that, because I travel very light, I don't carry my whole lens catalog with me. If there was something outside of what I had available to me on the camera, I would use my iPhone. And one of those areas that I've been using the iPhone a lot is for ultra wide shots. But sometimes I would love to capture those ultra wides with the Nikon or with the OM-1. That's where I'm kind of like betwixt and between, as they say. So thinking about it, wondering about it, all that sort of stuff. And then about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I saw a story about a third-party lens out of China, the Viltrox 20mm f2.8 for Nikon Z, and then they also make it for the Sony E-mount. Now, this lens is 20 millimeters. Uh, it's one stop slower than the Nikon version. Doesn't have any star ratings yet on Amazon because, well, it's really super new. It's 2.7 inches long, so it's a lot shorter. Half as short, basically. 
weighs 6.1 ounces compared to over a pound and it uses a 52 millimeter front filter so that gives you some idea of its girth but the biggest difference between it and the Nikon version of the 20 millimeter is that the Viltrox sells for $158 and you can get prime shipping with it. So that is a remarkable difference. I mean, that's just crazy. So I'm thinking, okay, for a lens to fill a gap that I will use sometimes, is this thing any good? Is it worth it? So I dug a little deeper, started comparing some specifications, right? The lens construction differences between the two optics are definitely different, but maybe not quite as much as you would think compared to the price difference. The Viltrox has 10 elements in eight groups with seven aperture blades. The Nikon has 14 elements in 11 groups with nine aperture blades. Both optics have quiet AF and manual focusing, and both optics have different versions of, but still have nano multilayer coating on the elements. And both optics, including the Viltrox, works very well on the Nikon ZF. So you're going, okay, I can live with some of those differences between the two. And for the price of a polarizer, is it worth rolling the dice? And this is really what this podcast is about. Whether it's this particular lens, the Viltrox 20mm, or some other lens by some other manufacturer in certain parts of Asia, is it even worth doing? Because if it's terrible, well, maybe you can return it. Maybe not. Who knows? Depends on where you buy it. But let's assume that you can return it. That's still a hassle, right? You've gone through the whole thing and now you have to package it back up. You're disappointed. So there's that. You send it back. You have to wait for your refund to happen. Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't happen. And then the whole thing just kind of goes like, oh, this isn't fun at all. We don't really want to buy stuff unless we know that there's a good chance that we're going to like it. As I was thinking about the Viltrox and I tested it, and we're going to talk about that in a second, I was thinking it really has to do with frame of mind and how you're going to approach it. I'll tell you right now, up front, the Viltrox is not as good as the Nikon lens. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out, especially a Nikon S, right? A Nikon S, there's no way this lens is going to compare to that. But with a little massaging and a little nudging, you can get pretty good pictures out of it. And I would say sometimes very good pictures. With the Nikon, the pictures right out of the camera are very good, right? So you don't even have to do anything. There's no massage involved at all. And so especially true if you like shooting JPEGs and you like using those pictures right out of the camera, there's gonna be no comparison between the JPEGs from the Nikon Z 20 millimeter and the Viltrox 20 millimeter. The Viltrox, honestly, I'll tell you right now, you have to shoot in raw to really get what you want out of that lens. And I'll explain a little bit more detail in just a second. So let's talk about real life use of the Viltrox 20 millimeter F 2.8 lens. Here's what I found. Autofocusing was quiet and smooth. I was actually really happy with the autofocusing. The autofocusing isn't as fast as 
with the Nikon S lens. It's a slower for sure, but it's very much in the acceptable range. And in fact, uh, I talked about the Nikon 26 millimeter F 2.8 pancake lens, a lens that I absolutely love. The Viltrox actually focuses faster and smoother than that 26 millimeter. So it is definitely in the acceptable range. So AF isn't a problem and you can manually focus with it as well. It's got a nice big focusing ring on it. So, you know, that part, no problem in the focusing category, at least not for me. Sharpness was good across the entire frame at f 5.6 and above. At f 2.8 and f 4, the sharpness was good, but not quite as crisp in the corners. In terms of sharpness, it's acceptable to shoot wide open with this lens. However, if you want the best results, the best starting point, then f 5.6 is the place to go. Alrighty. Now here is the one thing that I thought was a huge difference between the Viltrox and the Nikon, and that had to do with vignetting. So there was strong vignetting at f2.8. Now the effect diminished at f4 and beyond, but wide open, uh, the vignetting was fairly strong. And so, you know, when I was talking about, okay, taking pictures right out of the camera and using them, if you're shooting wide open with the Viltrox at f2.8, unless you're shooting something where you want vignetting, right? Actually, I did some close-up shots of some flowers that turned out great. You know, the vignetting then kind of worked really nice. Unless you want the vignetting, you're going to have it at f2.8. And I would say there's still some vignetting even beyond that. f2.8 is really strong, I think. But beyond that, it's still present. I'll talk more about how to work with that in a second. Close-up performance is quite good. And seven and a half inches with this lens, the close-up shots look really good. And since it's on a full-frame camera, uh, even if you're stopping down, I was stopped down to f8, f11. The background was still very pleasantly out of focus. So the whole close-up thing, I thought, worked really well. Seven and a half inches. And also, quite surprisingly and happily, the lens flare and CA were well controlled. They were well controlled. And I did the thing, you know, where I shot tree branches against a bright sky. I put the tree branches in the corner, you know, did all that sort of stuff, really trying to nudge some purple fringing or something out of this thing. And I didn't have any problems with it at all. Overall, sharpness was quite good with this, especially after f5.6. And really the only thing that I grappled with in terms of image quality was the vignetting. So right out of the camera, of course, this lens does not compete well against the Nikon. It's a stop slower. It doesn't focus quite as fast and it doesn't perform uh, at its best wide open. But here's the thing, and here's where the yes and no comes in as to is it worth you know taking a chance on these kinds of lenses so i loaded the images the raw files from the nikon zf captured with the viltrox 20 millimeters into capture one pro and i have the current version which can read those nikon files and i did a few things that really upped the game of the lens so first in the lens correction panel and, and capture one pro has some great tools for you know massaging the optical qualities 
and the performance of the camera. So in the lens correction panel, I selected the Nikon AF 20mm f2.8 D profiles. Now that's an older lens uh, than the Viltrox for sure. That's a DSLR lens, but I chose that profile and right away I noticed some changes. It, it diminished the distortion. That's pretty nice. And then it opened up the optical tools because I had chosen a profile. So I was able to increase the sharpness. You know, there's a sharpness slider in lens correction. So I did that. And then there's also another panel that compensates for light fall off in the lens correction panel. And once you choose the profile in Capture One Pro, you can make that adjustment as well. I did that and that got rid of most of the vignetting, not all of it, at least not all of it to my liking, but it really tamed it nicely. So right away I go, this is pretty nice just by choosing a profile that for a different lens, but optically probably has some similarities and characteristics. I was able to really massage the initial appearance at the raw processing stage of this Viltrox 20 millimeter. I then processed the lens as I normally would using highlight and shadow recovery, you know, a little bit of clarity, a little bit of structure, you know, all that kind of stuff. Definitely added some creative sharpening uh, as I normally will do. Although I didn't have to add very much because I had done the pre-processing sharpening in the lens correction panel. So I just had to add a little bit of sharpening and the finished raw file looked pretty good. Now I'm going, wow, this is really shaping up nicely. So then I went down to the vignette tool and I'm still just doing my regular processing. Of course you can add vignette, which is what we normally do, but you can also de-vignette. So I did just a little bit more de-vignetting because I had already compensated for light fall off in lens correction, but I went ahead and did a little creative de-vignetting also and really cleaned up that image nicely. So now this thing is looking pretty darn good. I went back and forth. I compared it to some of the other shots that I had taken and all that kind of stuff. And I was going, this is pretty good. So the bottom line, on this particular lens. And I would guess that this would be true for a lot of optics in this same category. If you need pictures right out of the camera that look great, I really think you should stick with the lenses by the camera brand or lenses such as the nice Tamron's, nice Sigma's, all that. However, if you do have the time to massage the file a little bit, the raw file a little bit, you can actually get a lot out of these lenses. And I'm going back to the earlier thing where I'm talking about lenses that fill gaps in our catalog, in our library, in our optical library. Lenses that we would like to have access to sometimes, but we don't need it for our everyday use. And since we're only using them sometimes, we're kind of okay with, you know, maybe doing a little post-processing to get what we want. I think you can do a lot of these same corrections that I did in Capture One Pro in Lightroom. I haven't gone in there and done that yet, but I'm assuming I could get to the same spot in Lightroom because the optical corrections in Lightroom are also quite good. Just find a lens profile that works with the Viltrox, that's akin to it, and see what you can do. So if you're looking for 
a lens to fill a gap in your library. You don't want to spend a whole lot of money. You're willing to do a little extra work. The answer is yes. These third-party, these cheap third-party lenses can be useful. If you're looking for the best quality, the best performance, and no messing around with it in post-production, then stick with the more expensive manufacturer lenses. This was a fun experiment for me, and actually, I really like the Viltrox. I think I'm gonna hang on to it. Now I have a 20 millimeter for the Nikon ZF. Fujifilm and Skylum are hosting 50 free photo walks across the U.S. And you can read this entire article on petapixel.com. I have a link in the show notes. Let me read you a little bit about it. Skylum, the company behind Luminar Neo editing platform, and Fujifilm have partnered to host 50 free photo walks across the United States, giving photographers a chance to not only see their local cities in a new light, but also try out new Fujifilm gear. The two companies say that this experimental new program was developed to inspire photographers to explore various metropolitan cities through their camera lenses on a series of guided photo walks where they will be surrounded by like-minded community. As part of the experience, participants will be able to try out Fujifilm's latest cameras and lenses and get face-to-face -face time with personnel from both companies. Quote, at almost every event in which Fujifilm participates, we look for an opportunity to integrate photo walks. Victor Ha, Vice President of Fujifilm North America Corporation Electronic Imaging Division says, quote, we see photo walks as incredibly important pieces of the creative process. They're not only a way to build camaraderie among creators, but also to allow them to make compelling images and content in real world settings. We're excited to collaborate with Luminar Neo on these photo walks and give local creators the tools needed to share ideas, expertise, and stories with each other and the world, end quote. The two companies say that regardless of skill level, these photo walks offer a unique chance to improve skills and also connect with the local community. The first photo walks are scheduled to take place in Las Vegas, Dallas, and Salt Lake City in March and the rest will take place throughout the month in cities like Portland, San Francisco, San Diego, Denver, Austin, Clearwater, Detroit, and many others. The full schedule of events can be found on a dedicated Eventbrite page where registration is free. The company says more locations will be added over the next few days. Now the link to the Eventbrite page is in this article that I'm linking to in the Petapixel article. You can go there and you can see exactly uh, they're starting in mid-March. And I just think this is a fantastic idea. You know, if you want to kind of get out there, do a little street photography, uh, hang out with some Fujifilm and Skylum folks and hang out with fellow photographers, wow, <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> why not? Go to that page uh, with 50 cities, there's got to be something that's within striking distance for you. Go out there, kind of shake off a little bit of the cobwebs, try some new gear. I love this idea. I hope it's a success. And if any of you do participate, and if you're in the TDS Inner Circle, please post on that site. Or if you follow us on Facebook, please post on that site. I'd love to hear how it goes. The OM-1 Mark II, more camera than first meets the eye. 
and you can read this entire article on fstoppers.com. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I looked to see if this was a sponsored post and it was not. However, it is written by a photographer who regularly writes about Micro Four Thirds and is a fan of it. And I thought, you know, since I first talked about this camera on the podcast and I wrote a bit about it, uh, there's been a, a lot of discussion and I've heard things, well, all those changes could be accomplished with just a firmware update or, you know, this is very expensive for, you know, very few features and things like that. And I was thinking, all right, well, I, you know, I haven't really responded to any of that, although there are certain things you have to keep in mind. Some of these new features, especially the enhanced performance, you can't just do with a firmware update because you need to have more RAM, you need to have more processing, all that kind of stuff in order to support that. So it's not quite that simple. But then I saw this article and I was going, this is nice because this guy has really dug in and he's articulating why the Mark II does make sense for some photographers and the things that he really likes about it. And then he even has some suggestions for the next version of this camera. So I'm going to read you a little bit about what he says. I have the link in the show notes, but I encourage you, if you're interested, to go over and look at the whole article. There's a ton of stuff that I'm not going to talk about that's pretty darn interesting. So let's take a look at some of the highlights from this piece. The OM-1 Mark II has certainly caused a stir. Here's a deep dive into what this camera is all about and why it's another winner and a bigger upgrade than you might first think. And he gets into some history and some things, which is really good and interesting. What I'm going to talk about right now are what he calls the special features of the OM-1 Mark II. And he starts out the first one, upgraded, high-res shot. This feature takes a series of photos in quick succession and combines them into a single 80 megapixel RAW file and JPEG. Now with the option of the RAW file being 14-bit, that gives three times the number of tones in the image. There is a handheld 50 megapixel version too, taking advantage of the image stabilization. That's the first one. Next one, upgraded, live ND shooting. Saving you from carrying ND filters with you for long exposures, Live ND is an ND filter built into the camera. The OM-1 Mark II now gives up to seven stops, or ND-128. Although useful on its own, reducing the amount of gear you need to carry, it can be used in conjunction with an ND filter on your lens, delivering exceptionally long exposures, even in bright daylight. More f-stops for live ND. Here's the next thing, new, the live GND shooting. As an alternative to live ND, it's now possible to have one, two, or three stops of graduated ND filter applied to RAW files and JPEGs by the camera. There are also three levels of feathering of the graduation, soft, medium, and hard. You can also change the angle of the graduation. So that's a new feature that is not on the OM-1. Here's another upgraded feature, Pro Capture and Blackout Free Shooting. One of the huge upgrades of this camera is doubling of the buffer size. If you are not aware of it, Pro Capture continuously buffers images and records the most recent of them when you press the shutter button. 
with continuous autofocus. The buffering is happening at 50 frames per second and will buffer 256 frames. That's five seconds worth of images. In that way, you should never miss a shot when a bird takes to the wing or when the bride kisses the groom. With single autofocus, the camera records a staggering 120 frames per second and will buffer 213 shots. The camera also has improved blackout-free sequential shooting. Upgraded and new, AI subject detection focusing. Another great option for wildlife photographers is the AI subject detection. I have found this excellent for detecting partially hidden birds obscured by twigs and branches and for latching onto birds in flight with cluttered backgrounds. You can now also select individual subjects in crowded scenes. That's not only great for wildlife photographers, but also events and wedding photographers, especially as human detection has been added. Furthermore, they are all accessible in the same place on the super control panel, which gives quick access to important features. I haven't tried the vehicular options, but the bird, animal, and new human detection is outstandingly fast and precise. So then he continues to go on. He talks about a whole bunch of other features that are unique to the OM-1, both the OM-1 and the Mark II. And then he has a bit of a conclusion. I'm not going to read you his whole conclusion, but I will give you this paragraph. Like its predecessor, the OM-1 Mark II is a camera that has continued to break the mold. It's definitely not a clone of every other camera out there, and it's good to see that OMDS are sticking to their guns and providing a product with features that tick the boxes of its user base. Consequently, it's already proving to be a popular choice. Good article for those of you that are curious. I know we're hearing a fair amount of banter. A lot of people have just dismissed the OM-1 Mark II, just like, boof, like that. I'm not going to do it. It's not worth it. There's not enough there. Now, I said when I did my podcast on it, I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do. So I've had some time, and what I started doing was I'm just going to start shooting with the OM-1 a lot <laughs> because I really want to start pushing the edges. It has its place in my camera lineup. I use it, as you already know, with the X100V and with the ZF. So I have three cameras that I rotate depending on what I'm doing. But what I decided to do was for a week, just shoot with the OM-1. The OM-1 and not the other cameras. It was fun, by the way, <laughs> to do that. Uh, you know, I love shooting with that camera, even though it's normally uh, for events and travel. I was just shooting with it for everything. Got out the 75mm F1.8, all that stuff. After that week of just dedicated OM-1 shooting, I said, you know what? I am really happy with this camera. I really like this camera. So for me, I don't need to upgrade to the Mark II. You know, the features, the new features, the improved features that I just read, they're great. I mean, I would love to have them, but I don't absolutely need them. So I'm going to stick with the regular OM-1 right now. That's my final decision. But I want to continue to provide information for those who are curious about the Mark II because for some people who shoot a little differently than I do, uh, I think those features would be worth upgrading. So anyway, pretty cool article. Go over and check it out. Uh, read all, all the other stuff that I didn't cover. I think 
based on this article and what you've already heard, you should be able to make a pretty informed decision. All right, let's take care of a little virtual camera club news. I want to start out with the Nimble Photographer newsletter. It comes out every Thursday. It's free, free, free. Just shows up in your inbox. I covered the new lenses that were announced with the OM1 Mark II a couple weeks ago. I published an essay last week. You just never know what I'm going to do, but I try to make it uh, different than what I cover on the podcast or what I'm talking about in other places. And I just found that it's really great having this opportunity to cover things that happen after the podcast. If you're interested in it, all you have to do is go to the digital story, go to the Nimble Photographer, all those. They have newsletter right up there. Just click on it. You can subscribe for free and enjoy it every Thursday. A big shout out to our Inner Circle members. These are the folks that support this community month in and month out. And plus, they're just a lot of fun to hang out with. They have their own space on Derek's Story Online where all of this water cooler photography talk happens. Uh, this is also where they share their pictures and they get discounts on all of the events in 2024, both online and in person. If you're interested in becoming an Inner Circle member, and I sure hope you do, all you have to do is click on the Patreon tile that's on all the pages of the digital story. You can nose around there, you can sign up there, and then once you do, I send you an invite to our space on Derek's Story Online. It's really a terrific place to hang out, and a huge thanks to the Inner Circle members that are supporting this community. And finally, a huge shout out to our friends at Red River Paper, longest running sponsor of the Digital Story, the experts in inkjet printing. I just got a couple more signups for the next inkjet printing workshop that's uh, coming up in a couple months. And uh, every time I see you know new people come to that workshop, I was thinking, wow, wonder what we can get Red River Paper to do to help us this time, right? I'm always sort of going back to that. Well, and I literally was thinking that, and um, I'm thinking for the next workshop, I'm going to invite Drew to come again, you know, because he is the guru for printing. He's uh, graced our workshop before, but I haven't had him there for a while. And I thought, boy, it'd be great to have him again. And isn't it nice? to have like, oh, I can just, you know, send an email to this expert and he will seriously consider helping us out if he can. That's the sort of support that Red River Paper provides to this community. They supply wonderful inkjet printing paper, other supplies, lots of knowledge. Their website is just a fountain of information. And I highly recommend that you click on the tile that's on every page of the digital story nose around a bit, get your hands on some paper and start making some beautiful prints. And if you want to hang out with us in the workshop, that's on the workshops page on the Nimble Photographer. A huge thanks to Red River Paper for supporting this podcast. And they have a wonderful Facebook page at facebook.com slash Red River Paper. Bryce going to do it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm working on more great stuff for next week. Until then, get out there, take some pictures, stay safe. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye now. <laughs>